This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. It's another chance in front. They score. Jack Hughes at the top of the crease. As the Devils' forecheck is causing the Canucks fits. And Hughes tucks home his second of the night to make it 4-1. to one. For Di Giuseppe into the Devils' end. Shoots. He scores. Phil Di Giuseppe scores his first as a Canuck off the rush. And Vancouver ties the game at four. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. He sure with it. Back to Brat, top of the point. Under 50 seconds left in overtime. Jack Hughes. High slot. Left circle across to Brat. One-timer. He scores. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks lose a barn burner 5-4 in overtime against New Jersey Devils. A thrilling hockey game. A comeback by the Canucks. Come up just short. Some horrible officiating late and in overtime, which we'll get to. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bik Nazar. We are going to bring in Randy Janda into the conversation coming up in just a moment. Now, you know how we oftentimes say, Bic, multiple things can be true at the same time. The best thing for this Canucks team down the stretch is getting a high draft pick. And that means losing a lot of hockey games. So... You know, most Canucks fans are okay with losses. How you lose can oftentimes be debated. Sometimes you lose a hockey game because your players are playing so poorly. It's embarrassing, even though you think a loss is fine, but it gives you concerns and questions about where this is going and what you think about these players in this situation. And then there are losses where, hey, maybe it's best for you to lose, but somebody does something which just isn't right. And I'm not saying the officials, quote-unquote, cost the Canucks the game, necessarily. But they made a call in overtime on Andre Kuzmenko after putting their whistles away after awarding the Devils a two-man advantage late in the third period in a tie hockey game. They didn't call a, a hook on JT Miller. It's pretty laughable what they let slide and then what they called to ultimately give the Devils the victory. And again, hey... People can look at it and say, the good thing is you didn't get the two points, big picture and everything, and, and that's fine. But that's pretty horrendous. What's stunning, too, is they were so good for about 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, the officiating was straight down the middle, midway through the second. There was no penalties. And so, okay, it's going to be a fairly honest game. The players are going to be the ones that dictate it. And then, you know, the, there was an incident you mentioned to me, like the Dakota Joshua one. Yeah. Was that one where he looks... Eerily really similar to yeah. the Riley Stillman, yeah. not as blatant. But he kind of gets knocked into the goalie yeah. and he has a chance. You call that already. It's a consistency issue. That's what it is. Like, I have no problem with bad officiating. It's going to happen. Officials are humans too, okay? You just have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't call the JT one, you then can't call the Kuzmenko one. No, you can't. They're very similar. Same play, essentially. It just one guy's in an offensive zone with a chance being created, but I would argue if JT turns a puck over, that's a scoring chance too. When they did that get gets a scoring created. chance afterwards, they yeah. almost scored. And so you just look at it and say, like, what's the standard then? Yeah. That's like when you have inconsistencies within 60 minutes, that to me is a way bigger issue than is officiating overall bad right now. For sure. And again, like, hey, we can talk with the Canucks game. We're going to break down their effort as well. Get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Grab a phone line as well, 604-280-0650. Let's welcome in Randeep Janda into the conversation. And Randeep, I mean, this was the first game post Bo Horvat for this Canucks team. Anthony Bavillier made his debut. A lot of things to talk about and a lot of good individual performances 
and a lot of discussion points, but it's hard not to get over how that game ended. Yeah, it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth because I, I caught some of what you were talking about, where, you know, a lot of fans out there, a lot of people that cover the game expect the Canucks to lose, you know, a lot of games down the stretch here, but you can respect a good effort. You can ex- expect a, you know, and respect that when you see it. And really the way that that played out in the overtime where, you know, that penalty is called on Kuzmenko and the one on JT Miller, which Sharon Govich had the stick, you know, right in that same age. It looked like he was going to fall on that play. I don't get that. To me, if you're calling that one play later on in the, in the overtime, you have to call the one that JT Miller has because that could have led to a scoring chance right off the bat. So are you waiting for the chance to develop then potentially uh, make the call? That's too late to me. So guys, a good game on a, a number of fronts, minus you know 50 seconds there in the second period. But the way that one ends, you kind of shake your head at the officiating to say, how can you make that call when you don't make it previous to that? Yeah, as you mentioned, a good game uh, throughout the course of it because very entertaining. Uh, you know, the neutral zone deadlock was not there at all. They were flying through the neutral zone, getting into in, into each other's zones with premium chances throughout, and you know, obviously nine goals reflected in that. Um, but you know, we were talking about this in the second intermission. Do you start to see just moments and flashes of what Rick Tockett is trying to build here with with this team? No question, and I think that started off in the beginning of the game, too, where, you know, New Jersey didn't really have that much. The Canucks didn't give them that much. Jack Hughes, in the first period, didn't have too much room to operate, where even when he had the puck, the Canucks did a good job of keeping him to the perimeter. But guys, for me, it started in the offensive side of the rink, where there was more pressure, there was more aggressive play, there was more, you know, cohesion on the forecheck. And listen, remember the first time that these two teams played, some of these Red Wings, def- or sorry, uh, the uh, Devils defensemen, uh, defensemen had so much room to operate. They could mm-hmm. make those stretch passes. Puck management was all over the place, and the details of the game were were not quite there. Bad line changes where defensemen could make that pass and they had time and space. Here tonight, they didn't necessarily have that. I like the way that the Canucks were aggressive on the forecheck. You know, you didn't have some of those defensemen really making plays. The one goal that sure Dougie Hamilton ends up making that pass to Zetterland, who tips it forward to Jack Hughes, what happens on that play right before that? It's actually pressure from the Canucks. It's unfortunate they can't keep with it. But I look at today to say, all right, there's a little bit more cohesion in the forecheck. It's not perfect. It's not perfect in all three zones. But you're talking about that high energy, that no quit, and that attention to detail. Even after one practice, there was a noticeable difference from the Canucks. It was. And I don't think the Devils maybe had their cleanest game. I think you know mm-hmm. that's fair to say. But they started the game off fairly well in the first. And the Canucks wrestled back control of the game in many parts. And I do credit their effort in how they played. What was also evident, however, was just the mistakes and the personnel issues they have. I mean, you saw the struggles on the back end, individual players making mistakes. And I know Stillman had a good offensive moment, but you see yep. again defensively where the concerns are. You see Tyler Myers defensively. The struggles also continue. And so it's clear this team has its issues. And even if they play with better structure, they're going to have a hard time winning hockey games if those types of mistakes persist. And that's what it ultimately comes down to, right, Randy? Like you have some individuals who just are not up to par for what they're asked to do. And that's where this team has to improve. But if they keep at least being in the right position and you start you know, the process which you talk about so much, you incrementally put it together, then at least we get to a point where we can truly evaluate the talent and not sit here and say, well, could this guy be different in a, in a safer environment? Well, 
if you're able to provide a quote-unquote better, safer environment in terms of your playing style and your structure, and the issues still persist, then it's very clear it's on that individual basis. For sure it is. And one thing that I think we'll all be watching for the, the rest of the season, even the next couple of weeks as Talkit has a little bit more practice time with his guys, is predictability. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean in a mm-hmm. good way. Do you know where your teammates are? Do, are they where they should be? And listen, after four games, we, we don't know if that's going to happen right now. We don't necessarily see it on every single play. Uh, but even in moments where you know you know where your teammate is so you don't have to overdo it. You don't have to be a hero. You know, as Talkett said himself, live for the next shift. And and that's something that I'll look at the next few games. You know, those two mistakes you mentioned, Tyler Myers on one of them, Riley Stillman on the other. And yeah, that five, those 50 seconds were bad. It was kind of reminded us of maybe a couple of months ago with the Canucks. But the way that they were able to be, I think, trust a little bit more in the neutral zone where, you know, the first forward goes in, disrupts or if there are some lapses from the other team and New Jersey had a couple of them maybe not the greatest puck management on their side of things the Canucks knew what to do and I I like little kind of installments of that and guys you know defensively it's going to require more than the two defensemen on the back end to do something and I liked a couple of things in JT Miller I thought I had a strong game right talk about offensively what he was able to do shot blocks but Beyond that, even the ability to make some key back checks, to drop down low as a centerman, and what a pass he made over, you know, to Phil DiGiuseppe to mm-hmm. create that goal. But Bavilia in his first game, I know it wasn't perfect for him. There's a couple of moments that he, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, would probably. <clears throat> well, we'll give you. We'll give you a second. There we go. Yeah. There I we got, go. Got, you got a voice back. I'm, there we go. I mean, this, I, this is what I, happens I, when you're in Florida having a good time. Yeah, that know, Florida man. sand catching up to you, man. Too much beach time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what happens when you're on vacation and you uh, come back more tired than you should be. <laughs> Did want to ask um, but- you about uh, Beauvillier, though, because, mm. you know, look, it's tough in one game and you're just learning guys and you get one practice to try to generate any sort of chemistry. But you, you kind of just look at the underlying numbers. Um, they were very productive as far as trying to generate chances themselves. I'm just looking at it now. It's like 18 uh, Corsi for themselves and nine scoring chances for them. It might be a bit more high event with the overall structure of the team, but... That's fairly encouraging for a first impression for Anthony Bovillier. Sure it is. And you look at who they're playing, especially in the majority of the night, they're going head-to-head with that Jack Hughes line, right? So the, be, you know, be able to to play against that line. And for the first 20 minutes, for sure, obviously a little more up and down in that second period. But even late in the game, uh, they really turned it up. Uh, I like a couple of things about his play. One was... You know, fast player, something that we knew about him coming from the New York Islanders. The other thing was key moments in the defensive zone. Tying up a stick on Nico Heischer that could have been a goal going back the other way in transition. And understanding the right time to a little bit of a stick lift to take away a chance. So I'm excited to see what he could potentially be. I don't know if he's going to be a fixture on the Pedersen line. We'll see how that works. Part of that's going to be also when you get an opportunity to score or set up the main guy, you got to deliver. But a good start for that line. And Kuzmenko, what can you say about this guy, right? He's starting to show that individual flair even one-on-one, you know, to to make that move on Dougie Hamilton, to have a couple of more opportunities later on in the game where when it's one-on-one, this guy has no hesitation to try to get around a defenseman. The confidence in his game mm-hmm. is something that's really, really fun to watch. And you can tell he's having fun out there. But, guys, that line to me, I thought for the most part, looked really, really solid. Uh, maybe a little bit more finished 5-on-5 five five is what you're hoping for in those transition chances. But overall, a good start for Bavilia. 
Yeah, and you know, before I let you go, I'd also wanted to just get your thoughts on Vasily Podkolzin's game. He gets recalled, and he's going to get a chance here, you know, with Rick talking to see if he can stick a little bit. But we'll see how it kind of goes. But what did you think of uh, how the youngster played? Because he did get elevated at times playing with JT and Garland. Yeah, I really like Vasily's game today. I think uh, you know when you come back from the HL and you get 15 minutes and 31 seconds of ice time. Remember, when he was sent down, he had 9 minutes and 46 in that final game. He didn't see much ice. But the way that on that first shift, really aggressive, the first forward in, not hesitating to land a couple of hits, play that heavy game. Something his coach mentioned even before the game was win those puck battles, and he's a heavy guy. He's a heavy player. He used that right off the bat. And even later on in the game where when there was a little bit of room, he did not hesitate to drive the net. And how often do we talk about you know, just players shying away from that area or not having the right, maybe demeanor, but also physically, can they do it or not? To me, Vasily, you know, whether it was a, a quick turn and fire or whether it was a lower the shoulder and trying to maybe go backhand on Vanacek, that showed you that confidence is there right now. So that stint in the AHL, I hope it's something that, you know, he has the mentality of, hey, I don't want to go back down there, but a couple of great chances playing north-south. Very little east-west in his game tonight. Yeah, it certainly was. And uh, maybe the highlight of the night was Phil DiGiuseppe scoring. And we know Dan Riccio is very excited about that. Oh, he's and, having an espresso martini right now somewhere. Yeah, like... Uh, he's Mar- knocking him back. Like Marvin and Edmonton texted in. Uh, too bad uh, we can't hear Reach because he probably grew to 5'8 after that goal. So... <laughs> With the lifts or without the lifts? <laughs> I, I'd say the answer is Poor with. Guy. He's not even here, can't defend himself. All right, Randy, great stuff on the call alongside Batch, and uh, we'll chat with you from continuing from New York with the Rangers on Wednesday. All right, boys, have a good one. Take care. Uh, you got it. That is Randy Janda. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 65650. Randeep also getting dragged, like uh, Brandon and Poco sing. Gee, Randeep was choking like the Canucks, losing his voice for a second. Uh, okay, so I do want to bring this up because okay. this was just sent to me, um, an angle on the Miller play. Yes. That maybe it wasn't such a blatant hook on Sharon Govich. Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of gets a stick a little bit. Like, you can see that like on the play. Yes and no. But it's like kind of on the hand. He's kind of reaching through him. But it's just one of those things that, like, it's – I can understand why it looks soft. But there's been other plays. That's the thing. It's like the Kuzmenko one, he's not exactly pulling on the hook. No, it sticks there. It's the same thing. You put the a stick on there, the guy. He's trying to do the things like, look, yeah. my one hand's off of it. Like, yeah. I'm barely doing anything. But the stick is there, and so you get called for it. And – I don't know if there's a credible hook from Sharon Govich, but a stick's definitely there. Yeah. And it's in the spot and the guy goes down. He loses so the puck on it. So it's fair to say, like, look, you're 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 creating chaos. And even Sharon Govich like kind of does a sneaky peek over to the ref. So even he, he knows wondered. he's culpable. Yeah, he knows like, But oh, I he... understand the point of view that, you know, some people have sent this to me saying like it's not really that big of a hook. Um, from Sharon Kovic. Well, big of a hook, but he hooked him. I mean, hey, listen, I'm fine if you don't His call either one. His stick is definitely there. His stick is definitely there. Hey, I'm fine with you not calling either one, but, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, Kyle in West, uh, an East, East fan, everyone forgive the referees for an isolated, poor, non-call, then penalty call. That never happens to the Canucks. NFL officiating is very consistent, said no Canuck fan ever. And again, big picture-wise, hey, it's fine if you don't get the points because you're not making the playoffs anyways, and that's all right. But it's just about you know the game situation. Um, now, as far as how the Canucks played tonight, 
we talk about their systems play, and it has improved at times, like we saw tonight. I mean, obviously, a lot of moments of individual mistakes and still a lot of chaos. Even the PK, the fact they killed it was really good, but it's not like it was without chances and mm-hmm. hairy moments, right? So it's like, you know, a lot of stuff is still going out on there. But one thing we have seen is this team have one-off performances. Like, I think the biggest challenge here for Talkit is how much of this stuff can stick and how much of these efforts can we see grow and be consistent? And does that become something they're able to do as time goes on? Because we've seen the one-off efforts quite often. It's not the first time. Yeah, this isn't something that they're going to look at and say, all right, we figured out what we are as Vancouver Canucks. No, it's going to be a bit of a process that you're not even going to solve this year because you've got 32 games left. You try to develop some of them, and everyone's going to go away, and there's going to be a bit of a reset. And sure enough, come September, you're going to have to redevelop all those habits again, hopefully from a better launching point, because everyone kind of understands is on the same page with Rick Tockett and the entire staff. But there's going to be some slippage to this. Mm-hmm. Tonight, again, it's five goals against, some of it OT and power play and chaotic moments, but this is definitely one I look at and say there are positives to extract from a game even though you did give up five goals three goals in 50 seconds and it looked overall chaotic because there was a lot of good chances for both teams but you can kind of see the samplings of what you want um long term for it to look like as the talent level of the group improves itself and i saw a text coming here 650 650 uh we always appreciate uh, your comments coming in uh this one uh Oh, you know what? I just lost it. But it was essentially, you guys, oh, okay. Let's calm down with crediting the coach with his new system. His team has done this already this year against Colorado Mm. and a couple other teams that they come out, play a great game here, great game there. Absolutely valid. But we're just talking about tonight that you could see the overall idea of what they want to accomplish. You're asking some people that are unqualified to do it and are playing above themselves to do it. But if you just substitute better talent, you can kind of see what they intend to do. Listen, all we can evaluate is their games and who they're playing and how they're performing, right? And does that mean they're going to figure it out? No, it's, it's just about how are they playing this game and how do they execute things? Is this something they can continue to do? I mean, we're going to find out, right? Like, I have, we we're all skeptical about this team and, and how good they are and, and all the issues they do have. But their focus as an organization was systems play. Mm-hmm. So what are we honing in on? The process, which they've talked about so much. Is it going to make a difference? Do we see tangible results coming out of it? Yeah, it's not about results, which they talk about, which again is the type of excuse you give a bad team. Yeah, we're, we're not here to talk about wins and losses because, yeah, you're probably not going to win a lot of games. That's why you're going to say it's about the process. But it's certainly something this team has to improve on, and that that's part of the evaluation. All right, uh, we are going to get to more of your reaction on the text inbox. You can grab, phone li- grab a phone line as well. We will hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, Anthony Bavillier. Made his debut as a Vancouver Canuck. Andre Kuzmenko, what a goal. What a performance from him individually. We have a lot to break down. It's Satyar Shaw with Bik Nazar on Sportsnet 650 and the Sports... Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. With it, back to Brad, top of the point. Under 50 seconds left in overtime. Jack Hughes, high slot, left circle across to Brad, one timer, he scores!
Jesper Pratt with a power play goal in overtime, and the Devils take it 5-4. to four. Devils with an overtime victory over the Canucks 5-4, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Uh, a lot of reaction on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650, which we will we will get to, uh, and, and we'll keep talking to you and, and break things down. We are going to hear from Rick Tockett and Canucks players, including Anthony Bavillier, and uh, we spent some time talking about the officiating, and I understand people are frustrated about that as well. Bernie from Kelowna saying Canucks played well, deserved better. It was the officiating, which cost them. I know a lot of fans have that same thought as well, but... There's more to discuss in this game than the officiating, and uh, the newest member of the Vancouver Canucks was Anthony Bavillier. And before we get to his audio and hear what he had to say about uh, the Canucks and how uh, he played, what do you think of his performance? Uh, he showcased some speed, got in on the forecheck, created a couple of chances, and if you look at some of the underlying metrics, he was uh, the Canucks' best performance tonight in terms of the shot differential. So, in all those regards. It was a positive performance. More than anything, it was noticeable. And even with some of the shot metrics, they didn't look as busy as, say, someone like Connor Garland. Mm. Like, Connor Garland can inflate his shot metrics. With a lot of, yes. With a lot of empty shots. Like, shots from bad angles and trying to create rebound chances and scramble plays. Didn't really notice that too much from from Beauvillier tonight. Yeah. And so like that's the difference, right? It's it's a line that was tilting the ice and honestly, like the 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 two goals that he would have been on for uh against, or I guess three goals because it was the Hughes uh Palat Palat that stretch that 50 second stretch. We talked about like one of them's a face off. That's bad luck. Um and then the other Palat goal, it's him cycling out of the zone and um giving it up to Myers. Who then proceeds to make yeah. multiple mistakes leading up into the goal? So even those two goals against in the, in the second were kind of bad luck. And he was on the ice for the uh, the first Jack Hughes goal. Sorry, yeah, uh, not fifty seconds apart. It was late in the the first. And actually, on that play, if you want to make a point, I mean, he he does kind of put himself out of position as well, like a, a little bit on yeah. that play. You you can make that case. I mean, it wasn't a, a game without any mistakes, but. To your point, noticeable in positive ways. Mostly the mm-hmm. speed is something that you do see. He's not the biggest player, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy who's, you know, 5'10", even 5... And that might be on a good day, 5'10", type of deal, right, On with skates. Like, he's not he's not the biggest player, but he's sturdy enough, gets in on the forecheck, and he does create enough disruption and seems to understand positionally where to be. So, some positives. I don't think we saw anything, though, we, we you know, were... Something out of the ordinary, so to speak, from him. Just kind of what we expected to see from Anthony Pavillier on a good day. More than anything, you just don't want to see anonymous performances. Yeah. Right? This is a guy who's getting another opportunity, gets a bump up in a lineup, and a new destination. Don't be anonymous here. Use these 33 games as a bit of an audition for yourself, for the team, whatever it is, show something. Mm -hmm. As opposed to someone like Riley Stillman, who gets to a new destination, show something. Well, it's been really difficult to find the positives in a Riley Stillman season this year. Yeah. Anthony Bavillier, just acquired, had to make the cash work, obviously. That's part of the component, and that's why I bring up Riley Stillman, because that's a cash yes. component to that trade. But you you see something that's tangible to say, okay, this is something I can use. Maybe not first line in a year's time, or maybe it's as an asset in a year from now. But whatever it is, you saw flashes in one game, 
very minimal, but you just saw something that that can be attractive. Can you can traits? You, traits can you do some winning things consistently. If you do it on a team that you know the whole structure word comes up again, if they feel like they're doing that. It makes it easier for you to move the player as well if you're looking at doing that next season. So, again, a long way to go with Anthony Bavillier, but that's his first game. And uh, as far as the reaction uh, on our text inbox and as far as Bavillier is concerned, I think that what people wanted to see more of was the power play. Mm-hmm. And the Canucks only had that one power play opportunity. Yep. So really didn't get much of a chance to see how that worked out. Uh, I noticed the Canucks were trying to get Elias Pettersson the puck a bit more. So if we're looking at the other aspect of Anthony Bavilli, and it's only one power play, and sometimes it's just how the puck goes, right? And but we've it's seen hard that to the read last it. couple of games, even before yes. the trade, Patterson essentially playing like uh, a bit. Basically, he's what he's he's roving all the way up to the point to get a point shot off at times. Which I mean, hey, you have a one hundred and three and a half mile yeah, an hour clapper. It's great, but. It's almost like you become the the three and D guy in basketball, where you just stand in the corner and wait. Elias Pettersson shooting one timers from the board and blue line junction is not a good power play. Well, it's also not using his other skill set enough at all. Yeah, and like I get doing one timers because he's amazing at it. Mm-hmm. Shooting it from that distance to me, like that's a bigger issue, and we saw that even prior to the Horvat trade. So this is not a oh well, Horvat's gone and they're trying to change. This was happening even before he was creeping up higher and higher and higher just to make himself available for a pass from Quinn Hughes. Something has to change because that can't be the result of oh, if we need Pedersen to shoot, let's get one timers further away from the net. You got to do something in front of Quinn Hughes to open up the space for Elias Pedersen. Yeah, and. Uh, y- you know, for instance, in, uh, somebody just texted and said, I thought Bavilia was better than average. Sprung PD for breakaway with a great yep. pass, and PD uh, missed a tap in pass. Give some credit, guys. Yes, only one game, but he played well. I mean, we gave credit. I'm just saying, I we, feel like we're, we're going out of our way to give credit. I'm here. just saying, we didn't see anything from him that we weren't expecting to see. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it, it was a positive performance, but yeah. he brought it. He brought it. He, That's he the played. thing. Yeah, he did. He played well. Again, one game, he played well. It's not going to go, oh my God, like super, like he had a good game. What I would expect to see from a player like Anthony Bavillier, a uh, good performance from him. Um, and we'll get to more of your, your text messages. Gus and Niagara Falls, officiating wasn't great, but let's not forget the Canucks had a pathetic lapse for 50 seconds where they allowed three goals in a row. And yeah, I mean, they absolutely, absolutely did. They came back from a three goal deficit as well to tie it. So you give them credit for it. A lot of issues tonight, but overall, Bick, if you look at the overall performance and yeah, the officiating, we, we talked about that, but I mean, it was a it was a good performance from them tonight. Like they didn't play poor. Like they, you can't look at this game and say, "Oh, they got lucky to get a point tonight." Oh, this was a horrible performance, and they somehow came away with a point. Like if you know, all in all, and the Devils, I don't I don't think had their best game, but regardless, all in all, the Canucks throughout large portions of this game had control, and I think that's something you have to give them credit for. I mean, this is not a Fought bad back opponent. multiple times. Yeah, right. Like that's a key thing here. That you, you start with the early goal. And we talked about it in the the second intermission, even at three four, yeah, you took a big punch with those three quick goals. Were you able to overcome? And they did to close up the period, give yourself some energy going into the final frame, and then Phil DiGiuseppe winds up scoring that goal, and something okay, there you go, you fought your way back, and you have like we're we're looking for small samplings of what this team can become and grow into with yes. structure and identity and all these things. 
that's a small thing. You're, you're still willing to push back and get yourself back in the game. What's the thing that we, we've always mentioned? When the other team raises their level, how do you respond? New Jersey did. They raised yes. their level. They scored three goals. How are you going to respond? They came back into the game. That's that's the thing you need to see. Yes. That this team right now, like these are the tenants that you're looking for. Like don't give up on a, on a game. That's very easy to say, well, New Jersey's too good. Let's move on to the Rangers and 32 games to go, guys. No, they they, they competed the rest of the way. And you know, expectations have changed. I mean, not only do we know where they are in the standings, but also they made the sell move. They traded Bull Horvat. They brought a coach in. They shut players down. Like our evaluation isn't about you have to win this hockey game. It's more about, hey, how are you changing the process which you speak about? How do you get some individual players up? And what type of plan is it going to, how are these players going to be part of that plan in the future? And that's going to be the biggest part of it. But again, to give credit, you know, they, they had a strong game. We mentioned Anthony Bavillier and his comments, but before we get to his comments, the coach always goes first when we get the head coach's audio available. And here is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett talking about how I'm um, being asked if they found a bit of an identity tonight. Three goals in 50 seconds obviously was the difference of five on three into four and three. Other than that, I liked our effort. I mean, I thought a lot of guys played hard tonight. Um, a little more of an identity that I want them to play. I, I thought they, were, they felt it tonight. Was that one minute just basically a little lack of composure once the first one went in? Yeah, just a little light, light, light. Like um, this is a quick team, so you got to be very hard on your pucks. Um, we're a little light with the sticks, and then we're kind of massage the puck a couple times. You give these guys time and space, that's what can happen. But uh, for the most part, like I said, I thought we we held our own. Looks like you controlled play in the third period for the most part, especially yeah. what went on. Yeah, it's a good sign. I thought uh, you know, like I said, it's it's tough when you got to kill five and three and four and three and. Uh, we had a couple of chances at the end, you know. Wish we had a, you know, power play here or there. Maybe at the end it would have been nice, but uh, for the most part, it was, I thought the guys did well. Did Puck Holzen play pretty well the way you described? You wanted to see him. I like that kid. You know, it's our job as Stephen to develop more. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a he's a bull out there. You know, he's a he's a give and go. At the end there, he uh, he won a battle. He, he knocked the guy over and kept that puck uh, to get it out. That's a big play. So, yeah, I like this kid a lot. You know, we got to keep working with this kid. First game without Bo, how do you think the team played? I thought it played well. Played well. Other than the 50 seconds, you know, other than the 5 and 3, 4 and 3, I thought, like I said, I thought we played a good game. Yeah, I thought he got better as the game went on. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's always nerves and stuff like that. Um, he had a couple of chances there, and he, he almost hit Petey back door, so yeah, he'll chip away. It's good. You've talked uh, about this being uh, about the process now, more than the wins and losses. Yeah. I know you'd like some wins. Yeah, too, I know. Yeah. How important mm. in this in this early stage is it to have a push like like this four one? Because obviously the team could have just taken another yeah. loss right there. Well, that's like you said, part of the process. You know, bad things can happen sometimes. Things don't go your way, and uh, you're looking for fight from guys. And I saw that. You know, we still have to develop some wall guys. We got to de- develop some inside guys. And when you play talented teams, you got to make sure you're gritty in those in those situations where, you know, three goals in 50 seconds. You need somebody to kind of settle things down with a, you know, whether it's a good hit or something inside. So I, I, but we'll, we'll develop those guys, and I got to evaluate some other guys. But yeah, um, the push was there. You're right. Third period, I thought we played well. Did you like the fact that the guys who got the goals to tie it up were not your big scorers? Yeah, I thought the new guys yeah, chipped in. You know, like I said, you got to use the bench. You know, Giuseppe getting that goal for us. Giuseppe, like, that's a big goal, you know. Uh, you know, it, 
we can't afford to have passengers. And I didn't think I don't think we had passengers. I, you know, a couple of guys, we got to get a little puck decisions a little quicker, but uh, that'll come. What do you, you think overall of the Devils' play? Who's play? What do you think about the Devils' the way they played? Yeah, Dallas are a good team. Like you give them time and space, that happens. But I, I thought our game plan was good. I thought below hash marks, we we were good. I thought when we played North, we got our chances. We some bad habits of taking the puck back. We got to we got to start eliminating that. But that you know you got to you got to chip away at that stuff. Do you think you should have had a power play before they got theirs in OT? Well, I I I, I mean, listen, um, I, I I love the the refs. It's a hard game to ref sometimes, but I just thought. There's a couple of, you know, that Millsy got dragged down there. And if you're going to call that, maybe you don't call it. But listen, it is what it is. It's a, But it's tough five on three, four on three to, to kill those. That's tough. What do you think of Delia tonight? I thought he played well. You know, like, you know, he lets three goals with 50 seconds. And um, I don't think it's his fault. And I thought he, he grinded and battled back. He played great. You know, he made a great save on that uh, backdoor play. Uh, he's a battler. Good for him. Yeah, I've been around long enough to, to see all the problems on the PK, but it was a big kill in the third. Is that sort of something to, to try to build on and, and, and get some confidence from? PK is all about, it's, it's about details. It's about taking pride. And, you know, they got that one power play goal. You know, like I said, you're going to give them chances with you know, Jack. They got some talented guys, but we got to work on that uh, PK. And I thought this was a step in the right direction. Good block, that five on three. We blocked it. You know, PK is about blocking, too, and I thought uh, we did a nice job there. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-4 overtime loss in New Jersey against the Devils. And, you know, he talks about the PK, and the PK had the big 5-on-3 kill and then allowed a goal in overtime, of course, on the 4-on-3. But on that goal, too, you talk about it's all about details. You see JT Miller as well, like that, that shooting lane that opens up for Jesper Brad. Like, he kind of takes a stick out of that lane and puts it into another lane, just opens it up enough. And just a small little thing. Mm-hmm. And just doing that opened up a lane which he shot in. And obviously, I mean, the shot may still be taken and still may get through with you having a stick in the lane. So having a stick in the lane doesn't mean, it necessarily means it prevents the shot. Nor but what deterrence are you creating? Exactly. And are you putting it in the right spot? Are you giving yourself a chance at least to disrupt the play? And that's something they haven't done consistently on the PK. And that's another example of it. But all in all, to talk its point, a better night on the PK. I was pitching to you my idea of how they improve the percentage. I don't think you liked it, though. Five seconds left in the game, just do a puck <laughs> over glass. And just say, hey, hey, look, we kill five seconds. Five seconds, another PK kill. Another Let's PK it. kills. <laughs> look, it, it's going to be a struggle, right? Like, the personnel, like, you can do all the yeah. systems things you want and improve that a little bit and get guys on the same page. Ultimately, they have, they have too many players that are not PK players. Yes, I mean they just and, aren't. And, you know they do, they don't. And, and the uh, fun, funny thing, and I saw Don on Twitter mention that uh, we're being too tough on Riley Stillman because we mentioned you know uh, defensively there were some individual mistakes, and he made an in- individual mistake that led to uh, one of the goals. You know, we but talk he makes about, up for it. He exactly in the offensive zone, he makes a nice play offensively to set up the Curtis Lazar play. But one thing he has done well, Stillman is be on the PK. And to your point, when there were a lot of criticism about Riley Stillman and why he was being selected to play. For a Canucks PK, which is very bad, he's actually the Canuck who has the best PK metrics on the team. And it's not a huge sample, but again, if you're looking at, for a PK that's been historically bad this year, and guys who actually haven't been historically bad on it and have actually been pretty good on it when they've played, 
you can understand why. And, and I do think Riley Stillman has certain qualities, PK being one of them, and maybe that's why you saw him get into the game and why he gets utilized a certain way from the head coach because he mentions how there's a big need for them to not only be better, but it, the details are so important mm-hmm. in terms of are you consistently doing the right things for you to be able to win? And that's why you know we, we mentioned that. That's one of those players. Now we're seeing a second coach come in, give him a bit of a chance, and, and gave him you know a minute twenty on the PK. And Sam texted in earlier. Hey, if Elias Pettersson is so good defensively and JT Miller is so bad defensively, why is JT always out there in these yeah. important defensive situations? So one thing to 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 outline here is it shows the depth is not qualified. Yes, for these situations. Oh, I mean, more than anything, yes. outside of comparing JT to Elias Pettersson, the depth is not suited to play this PK roles because Curtis Lazar is among the worst forwards in the league at goals against per 60 on the PK. Yes. Forwards in the league, not just on the team, in the league. Very bad. So you you can't trust him in those spots. Then it becomes a face-off thing. JT versus Elias Pettersson. Well, JT, historically, trends around 55%, not so much this year, but historically, much higher than PD, who even today admitted on 32 Thoughts, yeah, I got to work on my face. Got to get stronger, and I got to be better in in the face-off circle. And JT has been getting better in the face-off circle. Like tonight, he won 55% of his draws. When people wonder, how can the Canucks win draws? Well, JT can win draws. And generally, he's not quite as good as Bo, but very good in the face-off circle. That's part of the reason why he keeps keeps getting thrown out there. You don't have any other options. I do think Niels Oman should be getting given, given more opportunity there. And he did spend about a minute 15 on the PK, so it's not like he didn't play. I mean, JT ended up getting two minutes and 25 seconds on the PK, which was the most of any Canuck forward. But I do think if Niels Oman, now that he came up first game, and he he acquitted mm-hmm. himself well, and he and if you talk about some of the uh, PK metrics, Oman's metrics have also been pretty positive. But what's his face-off percentage? It's 35.9 percent. That's where the problem. Tonight. That's where the and problem. And tonight does. he went. I'll just bring this up here uh, in just a moment. Uh, he went four for one in the draw, which is really nice. But again, coming into tonight. which is not a standard. The only way by the end of the season we see JT take less face-offs would be... If if someone else emerges? If somebody emerges. And your best bet is Niels Allman. Yeah, probably. Because Drys ain't killing penalties. Lazar has historically been a 44 to 47% face-off. I'm not trying to be negative here. It's going to be a negative take about Lazar. But Tockett came in and he said, we have four great centermen here. We have Elias Patterson, J.T. Miller, Bo Horvat, and Curtis Lazar. They traded Bo Horvat. He's coached three games. Who's not playing center? Lazar in three games is playing the wing on a team that needs somebody to play center. Drives his back playing down. Who, the by the way, right-handed as well. Yes. Like, you need a right-handed centerman. And again, and he might be better on the wing, and, and maybe he can still be a, a contributor and help the team. He scored a goal tonight. There are things he can do and mm-hmm. provide. But it's very evident now that another coach has come in and said, yeah, you're not a center here. Or at least quickly is like having some doubts about it. So until we see somebody emerge, you you, you should kind of expect JT to keep getting a lot of those PK minutes. Six fifty, six fifty. Uh, Graham and Port Moody, almost a perfect game for the Canucks. Big time comeback, show some fight, lose late. Wish it was a regulation loss, but one point better than two. When you're in the tank for Bedard, that is Graham in Port Moody. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. 
Uh, this one's Zach from Lethbridge as well. Exciting game in a lot of ways. Saw lots of good effort in the first game without Bo, uh, but ultimately I am good. I am okay with the loss, and we're seeing a lot of that uh, come in, uh, plus some Bovillier thoughts uh, as well as we're talking about it. Yeah, uh, and you know we, we broke down Bovillier's play, and we will play his audio on the other side because we'll get to that, and we'll get to more of your thoughts. And we haven't spoken about Vasily Putkolzin quite enough, even though uh, head coach Rick Tockett gave some praise to him, which I do think we should kind of unpack and talk about. Call him the bull. We should talk about that on the other side. Got to talk about Andrei Kuzmenko and how good he was. Kuzmenko and Putkolzin, the two Russian forwards for the Canucks. Mikheyev, supposed to be a trio. Not on the same line, but the trio together this year. And hasn't quite worked out. Will, will it work out better next season? Well, we'll get into that and we'll get to more of your thoughts as well. And we'll hear from Anthony Bavillier. Canucks lose 5 4 in overtime against the New Jersey Devils. It's Satyar Shah, Bik Nazar on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central post game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Elias Patterson behind his own net, far side for Luke Shen, nice pass to center for Kuzmenko, into the Devils zone, right wing, beautiful move, into the slot, he scores! What a goal by Andre Kuzmenko as he turned the Devils' defense inside out, and he gives the Canucks a 1-0 lead, 3.35 into the first. Was that maybe the nicest goal we've seen Andre Kuzmenko score? He's got 22 now on the season. That may have been one of the nicer goals that he has scored for the Canucks. He even had a hat trick so far on the season. Let us know on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Canucks lose 5-4 against the Devils in overtime. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. We are going to get to Anthony Bavillier and his thoughts, and we'll hear from Ian McIntyre on the road, doing great work, by the way, with his coverage already um, the last couple of days from Jersey, and we'll continue through New York before coming back home. So we'll get to that coming up in a bit as well. Um, But Kuzmenko, that goal he scored, a great pass from Luke Shen, and we broke that down quite a bit about how, how that space came to be and all, but... His confidence just seems to grow and grow and grow. And as we talked about earlier in the season, remember we we saw him score goals, but we said he's scoring goals. What we would like to see, though, is more of him creating some goals himself, whether that's creating space and shooting the puck, whether that's dangling guys and scoring. And as the season's gone on, more of that's happening. Like he's more than just being around the net, tipping pucks in or redirecting pucks in and being Johnny on the spot and being a skilled player. Now he's really manufacturing not only his own shot, but also his own space to score goals like he did just completely uh, dangling Dougie Hamilton and beating uh, Vanacek on that goal to open up the scoring. I mean, it's pretty impressive how his game is improving, Vic. Absolutely. And it's... Week to week, you're seeing a better player. I, I I think if you go back and watch some of the early season games, especially the one against uh, Columbus was the one that always sticks out to me. That was an early season rough game for Andre Kuzmenko. Just defensively, mm. you know, missed some assignments. And you see it like, okay, what kind of player are you really getting here? And the overall energy wasn't really there because it's still a guy like getting his bearings yeah. straight. Now you're starting to see, okay, I'm figuring out the NHL. Here I am coming up to 50 games. And you, A, you see his natural enthusiasm, which I love, right? Like hockey just needs more of that in general. Just, just a happy-go-lucky guy. Just an exuberant dude. Yes. Who wants to play hockey. And it's not like singular, oh, I just, I'm just here to score goals. It's not that. I'm just an overall effective hockey player. 
and you see it start to grow. And even when the contract was signed, his bridge deal, we both sat here and said, we still haven't seen the best version of him. No. And that's why a bridge deal from his camp, we always talk about players trying to get their money. From his camp, it kind of makes sense because I'm still improving and the contract I really want might be easier to get in two years' time. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not quite everything he had hoped, he's probably not, as long as he scores at the rate he's scoring or close to it the next couple of years, we're talking about him getting a five- or six-year deal at $6 million per season. If Maybe not even more. more. If, if not, not if, more. I'm not talking about the, that's the low end. Yeah. So it's like for him, and it, hey, that's easier said than done. You got to stole for another couple 100%. of years, score 25, 30 goals, get 60 points. But as you points, mentioned, but he's creating on his own he now. Is. This isn't dependent on others no. around you. This is starting to evolve even more. So if we get to a stage where we see the best version of Andre Kuzmenko in the next 80 to 100 games, then you'll start to see, okay, this is someone that you want to keep around and, and start to pair with Elias Pettersson as well. He's a clear level up from Besser and Garland. Like, clear level Oh, up. he's he's flown past them. And, I mean, he, he's making more than Garland by just over 500000 but he's making well over a million less than Brock Besser is, and we're seeing the reaction on our text inbox to Brock Besser's play, you know, trade him. Probably more slow. than anyone tonight, it's it's Brock who's taken the, the target from fans today. And, and that's the thing, we talk about traits, Sat. Kuzmenko exhibits all the traits that we thought Brock Besser was going to have. Yes. And it just never really materialized. Obviously, there's um, extenuating circumstances to some of this injury last season. Everything. Look, there's been a lot of obstacles in Brock Besser's way here. And yet, you watch Kuzmenko and you think, okay, this is what should happen as soon as Patterson arrived. And you saw glimpses of it, obviously, have the season with the lotto year. But it's such a nice pairing. To look at this and say, okay, one winger with Leas Pedersen, hopefully when he resigns, is taken care of. You have one duo. Yeah. You feel like you have that one. The other question is, can you figure out, figure out another duo? Is there one to be had for JT? Now, we're seeing JT and Garland play together quite a bit. And we're seeing Besser be the odd man out. Read into that whatever you may. Now, could it be just the preference from the head coach? Could it be anything else? Could it be Besser's on his way out? So we're training this guy no matter what. Let's see if we can work something out with Garland here. Whatever it is, it doesn't seem like Besser has a natural fit with anybody on this team anymore. And if it's not going to be Pedersen, which we know it's going to be with Kuzvenko now, mm-hmm. where do you see the fit? And I think that's you know, the Especially awkward one. Especially at the one. price point. Exactly. I think that's an awkward one. And with performances like this, I mean, you know, we talked about this on Canuck Central. And if you if you missed it, make sure to go back on and listen to our chat with Frank Valley about the latest on the rumors. And we talked about what could be out there for Brock Bester. And, and one of the things that, you know, I've been, I've heard and I know about the Canuck situation is they don't want to just give him away. Mm-hmm. Like They want something of value back in return. And I do agree. And I'm like, yeah, we talked about this. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you signed him, you want something tangible. And I can see them taking less in return if somebody just takes the contract. Like, would they take the equivalent of a third-round pick if you get out from all the money by next season and the year beyond? Perhaps, because that's that's appealing. That's clearing up $6.65 million in cap space. I'm not sure that's happening. But if you're taking on something, like a $4 million salary or, or whatever, I would want something more than a second-round pick in return. A like hockey a, trade. Yes. So I'm like, if I'm taking back a contract that's not good for Besser, I'd rather take something back in return. I want something else, too. I don't want, I'm not just giving him for a bad contract. Right, but then he plays like games like this, and he doesn't make any sort of a appreciable impact, at least not on the eye test, and in terms of his pace and getting on the forecheck and just finding that natural fit. That you're like, is, would you even do that? I mean, 
you're going to go through the ups and downs with Besser. Ultimately, he keeps scoring, but it's one of those performances tonight where I can understand where people are looking at it saying, whatever you can do, just do it. Because when he's a non-factor, he's a real non-factor. And on a night when you played, like Sheldon Dries was centering you. Yeah. And you can say, okay, well, how much are you supposed to create? Well, Vasily put Colson got an attaboy from the coach. Play like a bull out there. Yeah. That's the quote. And the the other kind of telling thing, too, where he, he talked about wall guys and inside guys, trying to find identity for, for that profile of players. How would you describe Brock right now? Is he someone that wins along the walls consistently right now? Not as consistently as he's capable of. Is he someone that's winning along the inside? Now, that's where he tends to score a lot of his goals. But do you see him trying to get to those spots in the ice right now? No, I mean, he had the one chance, uh, the, the slap shot, which was blocked. Set up, put, cl- set up by put Coles in. Yeah, which we'll get to, by the way. But again, that's not an in-traffic spot. No. That's transition rush chance. As far as tips or just getting to the important areas of the ice when puck arrives from there, whether it's shots, passes, or whatever, that's generally where Brock kind of makes his cake, but we haven't really seen him do that very often. No, we haven't. Now, the thing with Brock, and this has always kind of been the thing with Brock, even though it doesn't always look good, even though we see games like this, you look at the overall stat sheet, and he's got 30 goals, 30 points in 41 games. Mm-hmm. And tonight, you go through some of the underlying, underlying numbers, and on the expected goal stuff, on the high danger scoring chance differential, it's still positive. So there is something there which allows him still yeah. to be considered a guy that you can't give up on. Because even through his bad play, there's something there. So so I get it. But I can understand the frustration because when he's not getting there, when he's not doing stuff, it just looks like he's a complete non-factor. If you dig a little closer, you see some of the positives. It's just getting harder and harder to lean on those positives. When you saw the flash early in his career, and it's pretty much evaporated. No, he's a real functional NHL player, right? Like, that's not going away. He's definitely a middle six winger. I'd shade towards, you know, low-end second-line player. But he's definitely one of those, okay? So let's be clear about where we think the standing for Brock Besser. But I almost wonder if... It's it's similar to the Horvat conversation, to be honest, where how do Alvin and Rutherford and this Pittsburgh crew view the center position? How do they view the winger position? Well, I and think it's someone like Brock fit that profile because you start looking, Beauvillier, Kuzmenko, just the, Mikheyev. the Mikheyev. Like, what's the one determining trait that they all have? Speed. Speed, and if you're not, yeah, speed for sure is one that they all have. At the very least, shiftiness. Yeah, they all have an ability to tangibly impact a game independently. Exactly on their own. Whereas now, Brock is somewhat reliant on those around him. Yeah, and even. And it's not to say Besser's not a good player. He is a good player. Yes. They still view that's why they gave him a contract. Like they still believe that he's a player that's that's valuable. It's just not the mold of player that they want. Because I think they much rather have a guy who doesn't score as much as he does. Like, I, I think if they had their way, they'd rather have a Bavillier over a Besser. Okay. Here's a player I would bring up. Carl Hagelin. Yeah. Remember in Pittsburgh? Yeah. They went out and targeted him. Yeah. For the style that they want to create, can you just be a burner? And cause some chaos. To me, that's the best case for Bavillier. His role here would be the Hagelin role. Sure. I don't think there's anything Brock can do to play like that. No. And that's not to say he's not a good player. That's not to say he can't put up 30 goals in this league. It's just what style do you specifically want? What archetype of a player 
are you identifying that you feel you need, that you want to build your vision of? And I don't think Brock fits that in any which way for this management group. Maybe for the last one, maybe for someone else across the league, but for what they want out of their wingers, it just doesn't seem like he's the type of profile. Having said all that, people are going to text him and be like, well, why sign him in the offseason? Fair question. And I thought they did the best of what they could given the situation. But the way they always talk about wanting to play, it doesn't feel like Brock fits any of those things. And the same goes for Connor Garland too, by the way. Yeah, and, and many, same thing. I mean, good player, not quite the vision of player that, that these guys would want to have. And it's, it's and it's interesting because listening to uh, Rick talk at postgame, one player that he spoke about glowingly the first time he saw him play was Vasily Podkolzin. What did he mention about him? He's a bull. He gets there. He direct. skates direct. Yeah. So, Podkolzin is very much in the mold of player that this organization likes, or at least this regime likes. If we're looking at duos here, and we saw Podkolzin get a chance to play with JT Miller as the game grew on, especially later on in the game. I don't know if Garland's going to be a duo for Miller. I don't see Besser being a duo for Miller. Is your best bet internally for for the moment Podkolzin? I mean, that's the long-term pair I'd like to see. To be honest, like Miller with Podkolzin and Mikheyev next season, that's kind of exciting. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting. Or if you want to keep Mikheyev with Pedersen. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing with because Podkolzin is quite figuring out what his overall strength is going to be, but he's a driver. He gets in on the forecheck. He's fast. He's strong. He can he's strong on the way. puck, too. That's yes. the big thing. Talking earlier saying, we were light on pucks. Now, that's probably a comment directed at Tyler Myers tonight, yes. Riley Stillman, and a couple yes. other things. But Vasily Podkolzin is strong on the puck. Yes. And we've seen him work through contact and stay poised on the puck. So that's why I see him fitting in really well, like potentially there, like him and uh, JT Miller. But that's kind of where I see, if we're looking at duos here, and no matter how you feel about Besser and Garland, there just doesn't seem to be a long-term fit here. And I know they're trying that with Garland right now and Miller, and we'll see if that goes, but it hasn't quite gone. But Vasily Podkolzin, his first game back, he played, you know, I, I thought he played really well. And I wonder if he still would go down at some point. And we know he's going back to for the Abbotsford playoffs. But with the way, if he keeps, keeps playing this way and gets Rick Tockett's confidence, I can see him wanting to keep him up here for the rest of the season at least and then sending him down towards the end and seeing if they can work some stuff out here, not only with his game and how he fits in, but perhaps even as a duo uh, with like JT Miller. Uh, a lot of reaction on a text inbox, 650-650. I'm surprised Tockett is not upset over the refereeing tonight. He called them soft against Seattle. Well, tonight's response was towards refereeing. was very soft. He should have been more upset, gave them a pass. Not good enough. And I mean, hey, fair enough, because we talk about the officiating. Part of it is, and he's been saying this a lot too, it's about the process, not the results. And ultimately, the best thing for this team is maybe losing games as as they get to the end of the season. I don't think Rick Tockett is upset when they lose hockey games right now. I'm not trying to speak for him. I'm sure he he wants to mm-hmm. win, but he knows what's best for this team, and he's not trying to lose games. But I, I don't think that it's sting not, is there. If you lose, it's how you lose. Yes, and also I don't think there's sting here too because of the stakes. They've changed completely. I mean, it's completely like, our our expectations were different because of the expectations going into the season with how they were structured and built. But once you make a coaching change, once you trade Horvat, and once you signal that 
we're trying to look towards the future and shut guys down. It's a completely different evaluation process. And I think that's the biggest determining factor in terms of what gets a guy like Rick Tockett fired up or not, even though the officiating, like we mentioned, certainly wasn't good enough tonight. 650-650, catching up on the inbox here. Uh, Franco from Burnaby. Hi, guys. Uh, how are they going to get rid of Myers? Horrible game, looks very slow. Diddle with Besser uh, as well. So we obviously talked to him about Besser a little bit. Uh, Myers... Can we say anything we haven't said before? On oh, well, I'm just going to reiterate. Look, there's a $5 million signing yeah. bonus in the offseason. After that, $1 million salary. If you were to retain them on that, half a million. That's going to be attractive. And for all people who like, well, who's going to take that? Look, this is a league that exists where Eric Branson just got 4 by 4 Yeah. Okay? Tyler Myers right now is 35th or 38th, somewhere in that range, for time on ice for right-handed D-men. There is a dearth of right-handed D-men. So you're going to find someone that's going to be able to say, hey, for 500 k and a $3 million cap charge, that's not unreasonable. You can and figure it out. That's yeah. assuming you trade it in the offseason. I think the more likely scenario is during season. So there will be someone that's willing to take Tyler Myers for a pittance of what $6 million is. Because yeah. his actual salary next year is going to be way lower than we, than we realize. Like, I'm just, I'm just looking it up right now. He's 37th in, in time on ice. Kyle Burrows for Taiwan Ice this year is 75th. There are no right-hand defensemen in the league almost. Like, there's not many. So, yes, that market, if there is any thought that he could be had at the deadline, I think that just looks more and more unlikely. His game has just not been good enough this year. You yeah. see a lot of the troubles. You saw it again tonight. But come next year. And again, next year. his biggest value, to be honest, is he's got the body type that can take a lot of minutes. Yeah. And he can play the right side and has the physicality for the postseason. There is value there, potentially, yeah. just not yet. And that's where we're at uh, with him. Um, we have more questions here. Like like this, okay. Let's do this here. We, we'll play the Anthony Bavillier comments okay. coming up in a bit, and we are going to get to Ian McIntyre. I feel like that's about to go off on something. No, no, not going to go off. Not going to go off. But we see these... these Sats turned his hat backwards and is rubbing the forehead, and he's like, oh boy, no, here we go. No, I'm not going to go off. But this is something that's been talked about a lot, but figured, you know, we had a few direct questions about it now. Can you guys please comment on the noise about Rutherford wanting out? So Jim Rutherford and... It was suggested by Steve Simmons in the Toronto Sun. So everybody's clear on where, where, where this is coming from, that there's some buzz around the league. And uh, I think what Steve Simmons says was more than one person has told him. That usually means a couple, not more. I'm just saying. Listen, I'm, j- I'm just... All I'm doing is presenting the facts. Steve Simmons said one person... More than one. More person. than one. Usually, mean like if like if it's. More I mean that than, part's not a fact. It's not a fact. No, I'm just saying. But he just said more than one person, and usually when we say sure. more than one person, you you say you mean one, maybe two. If it's, it's multiple, you say sources. <laughs> Go on. Anyways, and he said that there's suggestions that Rutherford wants out of Vancouver, doesn't want to want to do the job anymore. And hey, listen, I'm I'm not besmirching the sourcing at all. I'm just you know laying out the level of sourcing or sources. I don't know. I've asked. All I can tell you is what I've heard, and it's no, that he doesn't want out. That Rutherford is happy here. He's not happy with how things have gone, obviously. And, you know, he himself admitted to it and and needs to handle things a lot better. What I've been told is that he doesn't want out. 
Now, that's what I've been told. I can't sit here and tell you that, you know, others haven't been told other things and whether it's 100% true or not, I go with my sources that I trust and people that I speak to. And when I've asked about it, I've been told that it's not true. So that, that's all I know. I, I'm only one man it's, that talks to people. It's just one of those things that, like, hey, he's, he's shown the willingness to walk away from a gig. Okay, so like that's on record. It's already happened. He walked away from Pittsburgh. It's just one of those things that if you want it out, you've already shown that you'll leave. Yeah. And so if that comes to fruition, hey, well, let's talk about it. But to me, it is one of those things like I need the proof of you actually leaving before you're out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just. It's it's noise. It's noise. And hey, and, We and, can and, comment on it. But to me, it is ultimately one of those things. You've shown that the paycheck isn't necessarily the thing that keeps you around. You're willing to walk away from it. Yes. So if you wanted to leave, hey, you can leave. You can leave whenever you want. You're not forced to do this. And that's always what I've been told. And again, listen, uh, I can't sit here and tell you what other people and their sources are. Or um, more more importantly, like what other people are going to do day to day. Yeah, Like Jim Rutherford can change his mind tomorrow. For sure. Absolutely. All I can go by is the people I speak to. And I try to be as informed as I can on those things. And, and that's just what I know about it. You know, I haven't heard it that he wants out. And that's all. Oh, so we have time to play Anthony Bavillier? <laughs> no, we'll play it on the other side. Okay. We'll play Anthony Bavillier on the other side. Uh, and we're, we're, we're going to do it on the other side. No iMac. Reason we're not going to be able to hook up with our good friend Ian McIntyre, so we'll get to more of that. We can get to your phone calls as well because, uh, yeah, a lot to kind of dig into. But since no iMac, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And uh, we will um, do that. Uh, 650, 650. To the point on the refs, disagree with the texter. Not sure Rick Tockett wants to create bad blood with officials when we suck right now. Save it for when it matters. That's uh, from hashtag Nuck in the Six. Also, why take a fine? <laughs> like, you just started a new gig and you're going to start it getting a fine? Uh, all right. doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, you, you just got to be smart about things, right? I get it. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, a couple of questions coming in. This one's from Michael. Uh, oh, sorry, the two texts from the same number here. Why is there so little talk about Miller's upcoming no-movement clause and how it should be important to move him before it kicks in? Uh, thank you. That is from Michael. So uh, when the organization or when the reports have talked about the only untouchable is Elias Pettersson, there's like JT Miller's not part of that conversation. The the contract itself, they've committed to it, obviously. Yes. There's an idea that they can build this around with JT Miller part of the fold. Does that ultimately mean he's untouchable? No, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think he's untouchable, no. I mean, I don't think they're out there trying to trade JT Miller. I don't think mm -hmm. they're out there making calls like, hey guys, he's available. We now. gotta get off this money. I don't yeah. think it's that. But yeah. like anything in this league. Everything has a price. So I do think if somebody calls on JT, they would listen. For sure, they would listen. I mean, as long as, again, like Vancouver, when they were looking to trade, uh, or I mean, they were exploring the trade market, set up a price, set a price for JT. It was never met. The price they set out was never met. Is there a possibility, Bic, that that price has maybe changed in their estimation? That is still high. They still want something tangible, but maybe not quite what they had hoped for. And would they still settle for that if somebody came knocking? 
I think what it would have to be is like number it would have to be I, I don't think they're looking to just trade him and, and, and trade him for nothing. Like I don't think it's like, oh, if somebody's willing to take the contract and give you a second, I don't think it's that. Like I think if they're trading the contract completely, they still have to get something back in return. Is, is it a first in something? Right? Like Carolina's a team that has cap space, tons of cap space, hypothetically speaking. And we're answering this question. They have a ton of cap space. They have LTIR space mm-hmm. because of it. They can just take on the JT Miller contract. They have a space space next year or two. If they were said, yeah, we'll take JT on, I don't think the Canucks give him for free, like they took Pacioretty for free. I think they would want something, like, like a first or something else. But I think in that scenario, they would listen if somebody's willing to do something like that and give you something. Now, is somebody willing to do that is a big question. Concur. I know we're, we're kind of against the clock. Yeah, well, and we'll talk about that a bit more on the other side. We had Frank on who mentioned that as well. The, the biggest thing is, it's a willingness around the league. Is somebody willing to go out there and do that, take that money on and, and, mm-hmm. and take that risk? And that's why, yes, is it possible? Is it likely? Probably not. And that's why, you know, it's something to consider, but probably not something to take to the bank. And just to declare, the no movement clause does kick in this summer for four years, and then it's a modified no trade clause thereafter. So it does change yeah. slightly uh, as time goes on. All right. Uh, it's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Canucks lose 5-4 in Jersey against the Devils. We'll get to more of your text messages, more of your phone calls, and we, we, will, we will hear from Canucks players, including Anthony Bavillier, as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Central Post Game Show, bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC, only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Miller in his own zone stretches it up the right wing for Di Giuseppe into the Devils and shoots, he scores! Phil Di Giuseppe scores his first as a Canuck off the rush and Vancouver ties the game at four. Phil Di Giuseppe. He scored a goal. Dan Riccio, ecstatic. Somewhere celebrating. First goal as a Canuck. And this is the Canuck Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks lose 5-4 in overtime against the Devils. A game they were down 4-1, stormed back to tie it at 4. Some controversy in overtime uh, with, some, uh, with the officiating, which led to an overtime uh, power play. Uh, which ended the game in a victory for the New Jersey Devils. But Phil DeGiuseppe scored his first goal as a Canuck, and uh, the only reason he got into the game is because Jack Studnika, before the game, was sick and couldn't go. Non-COVID-related. Yes, non-COVID-related. Sorry, I'm keeping an eye on Arizona-Minnesota right now. There's uh, a minute to go. Okay, okay, Bick, before you go through that game, uh, bring us up to date and then get to the game. Okay. About where the Canucks find themselves in the standing. So the Canucks came in today with the seventh uh, best lottery odds, and they retain that. They get a point. They're even on points with Montreal now. Montreal's played a few more games. So if the Canucks lost in regulation today, they would have slipped below Montreal and had six best odds. Uh, but they're, they're at 6.5% lottery odds right now. Uh, elsewhere around the league today, Anaheim went to the shootout with the Stars. Anaheim coming back from two goals down to lose that one in shootout. So Anaheim picks up a point. They're at 38. Canucks have 44 after tonight. So they're six back of of Anaheim. Arizona also has 38 points, but Arizona right now has a 3-2 lead with a minute to go over the Minnesota Wild. And they had to come back in this game as well. Uh, I think they came back from two down as well. So big result. For Arizona, no, it was one nothing, and uh, they had to tie it up again at two two. But 
Chikrin scored and uh, McBain scored uh, to put them ahead. So those are the only games that uh, impact uh, the Canucks in the lottery. Philly, uh, I guess Philly's kind of close, seven points. But the Islanders picked up a win uh, against Philly. So uh, there we go. Canucks with the seventh worst point percentage, but... The Coyotes can close the gap a little bit with Vancouver in the standings. They can be four points back. And by the way, the Coyotes sneakily, I know we all make fun of Mullet Arena and everything. Sneakily, if they hold on here, they'll have 24 points in 21 games, which puts them 18th best home record. They're average at home. Yeah. Better than the Canucks who are bad at home. Better than the Oilers, better than the Golden Knights, better than the Sabres, better than the Canucks, obviously. So yeah, they're they're sneaky tough to to beat at home ice. Who would have thought? Playing in a small arena Not has me. a benefit. Not me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox, uh, 650, 650. We'll get to more of your questions uh, as the show goes on here. Now, we mentioned Anthony Bavillier and how Wait, he... should we wait 30 seconds before we get to this? Just to the end of the Minnesota game, or should we tease it to the game? We'll, we'll tease it. So, All so right. hang on. All right. And we'll, we'll tell you about uh, how that uh, game is coming to an end. But here is Anthony Bavillier talking about tonight's tough loss in New Jersey and playing his first game as a Canuck. Um, yeah, I thought we battled battle hard, came back, uh, shows uh, uh, great character in this room. Talk about that second period, how loud was that second period? Yeah, definitely a couple bounces their way, but um, that's just the way it goes. I thought we did a good job just, you know, getting some, some big goals at the end of the second and then coming back uh, hard in the third. And I've got a point, I mean, um, I thought we played a, overall a really good game. How do you get the chemistry with, uh, with your line mates? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was, uh, we had some chances, uh, you know, definitely a couple of things to talk about just to make it easier on everyone. But uh, I thought we had some chances. We could have definitely could have had more tonight. And um, it's definitely fun playing with these guys that can make plays and can shoot the puck really hard. So uh, just trying to, you know, uh, be there for, for them, you know, trying to make plays with them and try to create loose spots for them. But uh, overall, it was, I thought it was pretty cool playing with these guys. How difficult is it to assimilate to new teammates, a coach trying to implement a new system, all that kind of stuff at once? Yeah, it's kind of um, good timing. I feel like I'm on the same page with everyone, just uh, you know, a lot of system stuff going on and trying to, everyone's trying to learn at the same time. So um, I feel like it's a great timing for me to learn everything at the same time. Can you talk about the 4-1 comeback time the game up at Send OT? Yeah, like I said, I thought we, we had some big goals in the second and um, came out hard in the third and big goal there and got a point I mean definitely uh, probably played not really within our system within our game uh, for four or five minutes there and we kind of took advantage of that and overall it was a good game like I said shows a lot of character in this room to to come back from um, three three goals deficit nerves nerves this morning oh my god yeah it's Felt like my first NHL game was definitely we were putting on the these colors today, but I'm uh, happy to be here and uh, very excited uh, for what the future holds here. That is the newest Canuck, Anthony Bavillier, talking about his debut as a Canuck tonight and uh, talked about the nerves, uh, the most nervous he's been since his NHL debut. And, well, this is only the second NHL team he's played for. I mean, he was drafted by the, by the Islanders and has played his whole career with them up until this point. So... Um, you know, obviously a big shock from him. I mean, like we mentioned, solid game from him, solid performance, and did not look out of place playing with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Showed what he's about. Yeah. You know, we always talk about, for players, mm-hmm. what are you and how consistent are you at that? So you're you're meant to be a bit of a speed winger that can create. Okay, we saw 
glimpses of that. Mm-hmm. And that's a fine first impression for a debut in a Canucks uniform for Anthony Bovillier. Obviously, we talked about the underlying metrics of what that line did together this evening with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Obviously, Kuzmenko's taking the headlines uh, today with his fantastic goal. But overall, strong play from Bovillier. Sets up Elias Pedersen for a, for a breakaway. Give him a, a chance on a uh, rush tip chance. Yes. Encouraging things from Anthony Bavillier on his first game as a Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, some solid stuff from him. Uh, we mentioned that. Now, before we went to Anthony Bavillier's audio, you were teasing the outcome of a certain hockey game. What happened? Coyotes win in regulation. Well, there you go. They Only beat the Minnesota Wild, so they will jump to 40 points. Uh, they still remain fourth best lottery odds, but they're four points uh, removed from Vancouver now. And the Coyotes, I believe, have played more games. Yeah, they'll have played one more game than Vancouver. Well, there you go. The Vancouver Canucks, only four points up on the Arizona Coyotes. And it doesn't get any easier for Vancouver as this road trip goes on. I mean, they have the Rangers coming up on Wednesday and, and a then back-to-back. Thursday against the Islanders. Which is going to be an emotional game. It will be. Bull Horvat's first game. Like this one here says, who cares? They lost. Different players, same outcome. Islanders won. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what happened. Can't. Can't argue with any of those. It's all facts. Facts only, man. It's true. Uh, facts only. Uh, 650-650. Uh, jump back into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Ethan Bear looks slow and tired, and Myers is so much Mr. Giveaway. And Stillman should be in the minors. Uh, I mean, should he be in the minors? I don't know. I mean, it's not like they have necessarily better players there. I mean, you can mention Jack Rathbone potentially not getting quite that chance. Now he's injured too, and that obviously complicates matters for him, but it's not like they have all these ready-made options. We talk about Christian Willannon a lot, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, a quad A player. Mm-hmm. It's not like they have any options that sitting there to be like, oh yeah, bring a guy in to play defensively and, and kill penalties. Who's playing in the AHL All-Star game, by the way? Christian Willannon? No, he's the Abbotsford Connects leading scorer pick. Can't can't count him out. Um, now, people keep mentioning JT Miller. They're asking about him. Um, you know, does he have a full move clause? We'll get to his audio because he did, he did speak post game as well and pretty fired up too because of the non call on him and how that game went. So we'll get to him coming up in a second. Um, but I, I did think JT's play though in general. I don't know if he was good tonight. Like, I don't, you know, we talked about it, you know, we were tracking him playing down the middle. I didn't notice him and Garland create much. Like, I didn't really notice a lot from JT outside of the assist he got on the Phil DeGiuseppe goal. I mean, I would say that's a positive. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just saying that. Like, like low event, JT? Like, I want to see more games like that. Yeah, I mean, low event. Um, so, okay, scoring chances against, there were he had five high danger scoring chances against. Tonight, which was the highest on the team, hmm. or tied for the highest among forwards at least, the shot differential wasn't very kind. But I didn't notice like out like the, the worst part of his game tonight was on the overtime penalty kill. Like I mentioned, he takes a stick out of the lane, which yeah. opens things up, and that's the one thing I noticed. I don't know if I noticed poor play from him, but what do we think of his performance? Because how he's going to play down the middle and whether that's going to work is something that we're obviously tracking here with the new head coach. Yeah, you know, those high danger chances, I'd have to go on a rewatch and see if they kind of came away from him. I didn't look at him tonight and say, oh, there was defensive gaff after defensive gaff, which we've certainly seen before. Um, 
So I'll stand corrected tomorrow on a rewatch. Um, there was one play earlier I kind of pointed out to you where he kind of lost Nico Hitchier, but he recovered and with the diving stick blocked that shot. Look, the pass is the thing that you, you look at and say, like JT, my biggest criticism right now, I know people focus on the defense. My biggest criticism is we're just saying it. What are you and how consistent are you? He's a chance creator, mm-hmm. either for others or for himself. That's the part that worries me more than anything. Of is why is that dried up significantly this year? The pass to Phil DiGiuseppe, that's a nice play. Yes, that's a that's the type of stuff where it's it's high risk too. By the way, yes, it's turning around, firing it across ice, but that's the sort of stuff that he's got the creative freedom to do. That. How many guys on this team are making that pass? Again, creating your own offense, we talk yeah. about, right? And that's something that he is able to do. Now, he hasn't been able to do it as consistently this season. The points have been there to some degree, but not to the level that they can be. But we'll get to JT's audio coming up in a second. Uh, Gary Maple Ridge texts in and says, Besser, uh, he's he's a lazy player, doesn't check. He isn't a Rick Talk type of winger. Goodbye. That's Gary Maple Ridge. Uh, again and my again my thing on JT comes down to the duo stuff which you mm-hmm. talked about like who's that going to be here for him now on JT himself here is JT Miller post game got an assist tonight Canucks lose 5-4 against the Devils but here is his thoughts on how this game went yeah we played a pretty darn good game on the road after the break showed a lot of heart today a lot of pride character as a team I think that's a really good hockey team over there and easily could have quit at 4-1 you know about four or five minutes kind of got us uh, in that hole but had a lot of different guys step up today, so it was. Uh, yeah, we'll, I think we'll take that point any day. Uh, I was trying to win every game here, but off the break and hard team to play against, fought back pretty hard. How's it feel to have Billy in the locker room now? That's yeah, great. He's a, uh, obviously a great player, still you know pretty young, even though he's got a lot of experience. Um, she's going to help us a lot in a lot of ways, and he played really good tonight. You know, he fit in really good in that line, and he's going to get an opportunity, really good opportunity here. So, you know, we're glad that we got him. Got it changed the last two weeks how important do you think was it for this group coming back from the break to, <coughs> to show a push after you had you know a terrible minute in the second period yeah I mean no matter, we, we say it all the time like it's our job to come out here no matter what happens on the outside or what happens in the locker room we're gonna be professional and come ready to play and stick to the game plan you know there's a lot of things that we can't control and you know no quit attitude and work you know working hard moving our feet keep it simple on a day like today where we just got off the break on the road um, you know we should feel good about you know the game today for the most part. Like I said, we're trying to win every game, but even down four-one to one of the better teams in the league with some high-end talent, you know that was showed a lot of balls coming back. I think. How disappointing was it not to get both both Thank points you. after the push that you guys showed like the second? Half? Yeah, it's just such a crapshoot once you get into the extra extra time these days. You know, I mean, you know they got a couple of players. We had the long change too, which which is which is rough. Uh, um, I guess both teams do really, but you know just kind of when they get it in, it's hard for us to get off the ice and. A lot of talent, you know. It's they got likelihood of they're going to draw a penalty next, and you know it just kind of unfolds from there. But uh, you know, we feel good about it. And we're going to uh, move on. You know, have a good practice tomorrow, and then be ready because it's not getting any easier for us. Were you surprised? Yeah, you know, earlier in. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have a comment. It is what it is. Were you surprised by the penalty because it seemed like they let one go a couple of seconds before that? I'm not surprised by anything uh, that happens. Uh, it's part of the game. You know, we're going to get calls at some point uh, if we haven't already. So That's JT Miller after a 5-4 loss in overtime against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, didn't take the bait on the officiating. Look at him growing. Not being subdued. No comment. 
No comment. No fines coming from Vancouver today. Again, the stakes are lower. They all realize it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's fair. No, the temperature, not quite as high. But there's that maturation. Yes. <laughs> Matured slightly, a little bit. No, it's good. That's good. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, oh, I just lost the text I wanted to read. This one says, at what point does Minnesota decide it's time to grab Brock? So Minnesota is a team that is desperate to score goals, as evidenced again tonight with that loss against the Coyotes. I don't know if Brock's going to be a fit for them. I keep wondering if if the if Minnesota is going to do anything and go after a player that has term, I think what they're trying to do, pick, would be to move the Jordan Greenway contract. Mm-hmm. You know, like, is Vancouver interested in that? He has $3 million on his books next year and the year afterwards. It's half the salary, a little bit less than half the salary of what Besser is getting paid. Any way you slice it, especially if, if they want to fit Besser in the next couple years, they kind of have to send that deal out if they want to make anything happen. And just trying to compare Greenway to guys that were in Pittsburgh, too. Like, they traded for Ryan Reeves at one point, right? There was a physical player in there who can play a real game, too, by the way. Yes. He's had a very good season last year. It would be one of those things that you take a functional loss to create something on your roster that you feel like you need. You'd like to see it for a depth D-man, but who's giving that up right now at this stage in the season for a contending team that's looking for scoring? No, it, it, that's why I kind of look at the offseason yeah. as the most likely time for a Brock trade. I'm not disputing there's a demand from the Canucks side to try to make a move now and even just help out Brock, say, hey, Get your fresh start now. But I, I find it harder to place him right now than in the offseason when things completely change. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the easier time for it. I do believe that there is a big effort going on all around to see if they can find something. For sure. And this is something that Frank mentioned. He was on with us uh, on Connect Central today, but that I've also heard that Besser isn't exactly most teams' first choice. He's kind of like number two, number three. If that. And yeah, maybe even farther down the list, that some dominoes have to fall for him to become a more prominent figure. Mm -hmm. Unless Vancouver's willing to take something back that they weren't willing to do before or perhaps eat more than they were willing to do before. I'm not sure they're willing to do that today with the deadline still five weeks away and the offseason still being there. So that's what makes it difficult and why, as much as there are efforts going on, it may have to wait. Any team that's interested in a scoring winger is going to call San Jose first. Yeah. What's going on with Timo Meyer? Just because, look, it's a better player. You're going to pay up more for that style of player. You'd be willing to give up a first and a prospect to go get a solid winger who, again not only comes at a high acquisition cost, but yes. the contract is going to be costly as well. But look at what he's done on a bad team right now, independently creating so much offense. Dynamic player. Great shot. Very fluid. Very mobile. That's the type of player the teams will say, we're going to try for that before we tie up some of our cap space and give up any type of trade with Brock. Yeah. That's just the pecking order. You're going to check that price before you get down to Brock Besser. And that's why, you know, it's one of those things. And even 
And hey, we mentioned Greenway would have to come back the other way. And people are saying, I do the Greenway trade. And that's, mm. you know, Minnesota's willing to do that. But anyway, you slice it, people bring up Minnesota. That's what you're looking at. Now, as much as I like J- Jordan Greenway's profile as well, big forward, gets in on the four check, is physical, can fight, has speed, a lot of things to like about him. It just strikes me as a finishing touch move. Yes, it, to some degree. Now, if if they're giving you a pick and you get off the Besser thing, hey, maybe it works out. Mm-hmm. But one thing to keep in mind is like Jordan Greenway has really struggled to live up to his contract too. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year he had 10 goals, 27 points in 62 games. The year before, 32 points in 56. This year, Dakota Joshua is outproducing Jordan mm-hmm. Greenway. Jordan Greenway has two goals, four assists, six points. Dakota Joshua... Uh, on the Canucks this season has eight goals, four assists, 12 points. So twice as many points and quite a few more goals. He's getting paid a fair bit of money. Do they think he's physical enough? Does it bring enough other things for it to be worth that type of money? Because in general, like I'm not against adding a player like Jordan Greenway because I like the profile. Mm -hmm. It's just considering where where his game's been at, is that a contract that you feel okay about or not? Is that a risk you feel like you need to take right now? Yeah. And I, I would say no and go reevaluate in the offseason. And again, it, it goes to the question of patience. How patient are you willing to be? How important is it for you to get the cap space? Yeah. Do you need to do that right now? Yeah. I'm okay waiting it out a bit. But that that style of player, to me, always feels like a, a move you do when you've got all these other pieces in place. And then you want to address toughness. You you want to address a certain attitude, team mentality. I really like the player. I just don't know if the timing of where the Canucks are in their build makes sense to go out and covet a player like that. Yeah. That's the difference. It is, right? Uh, Ryan texts in and says, I think the trade uh, that would make sense would be best for Verana, maybe a second or a third. So the Verana situation is interesting. And, well, maybe not interesting either because he's gone through a lot of personal struggles. But he's got to a point now where he has a year left on his contract. But uh, the Red Wings are not calling him up from the AHL. And reports are they're either trading him or buying him out in the offseason. Do they even want to take on a contract like Besser's? Mm-hmm. If they're looking to buy him out at the off season, in the off season, why would they trade? Like, are they looking for the cap space more than anything? That's the question. Because, like, I'm not against a Besser for Verana straight up trade, even. Like, I'm not against it. If you get some, like, you're out from the contract after next season. Mm-hmm. I've always liked his game. Yeah, he's he's fast. Does different things now. It all depends on where he's at. Can you invest in him, and that's is he okay? That's a big question. And that's all things being equal. But to answer the question, the Verana situation, I'm not against it, but because of all the uncertainty, there are question marks. And I wonder, just from the perspective of Detroit, are they just would they rather just take get the money, or like would they rather just buy him out on the off season if they can find a way to shift him out? Okay, so my thing with something like that, and, and when Verena was first put on waivers, like it was obviously talked a lot about too. They're like, someone's going to claim him. Yeah. Um, no. So, okay, let me put it to you this way. And, and this is how it kind of worked in my head. Even if it works, okay? Let's say you, you get Jacob Verena, he's fantastic and all that sort of stuff. What does the win look like for Vancouver then? Do you have to commit to Verena? Do you use it to trade? Well, I, I, I'd say you trade him at the deadline. Okay, that's fine. But then, I, yeah, like I, I just wonder, it's like you now need him to succeed for you to try to get any sort of result yeah, out of it. Yeah, again, and, and again, that's not a, that's not compelling. Yeah. It comes, it's fraught with, par- if anything, you kind of look at it and say, are you better off to save for assets? And, and so is the return going to be so good 
that you'd rather just wait out 14 months on Brock and say, hey, could we get the same return for Brock? Mm-hmm. That's that's the only thing. Like, like, what does the win look like? Because even if it's retaining him, well, a reminder, like you have put Coles in, you've got Mikheyev, you've got Kuzmenko. JT Miller's probably a long-term winger. Yeah. I know someone texted in. Um, JT still wasn't reliable down the middle tonight. Long-term, this team still needs more centers. I know Atu Ratu comes in. They still need another center to make Ratu a permanent third-line center. Mm-hmm. It'd be fantastic. Like, if they win the lottery, Pedersen, Bedard, Ratu, Miller's going to the wing if they win the lottery. If they oh, get yeah. a top two, Fantilli, Miller's going to the wing. At some point down, down the line, you need another center to graduate and move JT Miller to the wing. So even a scenario, now you're looking at McKayev, Kuzmenko, Miller, um, put Coles in. Yeah. Are you going to be paying $5 million for a third-line winger? That's literally the problem we're talking about right now yeah. with Brock Besser. No, again, no easy, no perfect solutions. And these are the kind of things you're kind of looking at here, but even they are full of a lot of issues. To go back to what you mentioned, Bick, an easier thing to do in the offseason. And, and maybe that's what, what happens there on the Besser front. And because and as you mentioned, like Brock does have 30-plus points. Yes. He's going to finish this year probably somewhere in the range of 46 to 53. That's not an unproductive year. It can be better. It should be better, yes. But Especially w- for the money you're paying. What are we talking about in a Verano win? Oh, get 45, 50 points. Like reestablish yourself, re-establish yourself yeah. as an NHLer. Yeah. Or do literally what Brock Besser is doing right now. Yeah. Do you just want to wait it out and say, well, now it's January 2024. There's less time on Brock's deal, all this sort of stuff, to get the same type of return. Yeah, you're either looking at making a hockey deal where you're taking something back, mm-hmm. or you're waiting to see if something else comes along your way with more. Or patience. you're trying to clear out all the money. Yeah, which I'm highly skeptical that's going to happen. Right yeah, now. no, I don't think that. I don't think that happens now. Off season, maybe, and even then, it might be difficult. All right, uh, a lot of great interaction on the post uh, post game show as always. Appreciate all your thoughts coming in on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty. We'll be back at it again coming up on Wednesday when the Canucks are in New York against the Rangers and then continue against the Islanders on Thursday. He's Bick Nazar, back at it again tomorrow on the People Show 3-4. to four. What's on tap? Yannick Hansen, right off the top of the show, as, as he does every Tuesday. Nice. I look forward to that. He's Josh Elliott Wolf producing the show. I'm Satyar Shaw, back at it on Canuck Central alongside Dan Riccio tomorrow, 4-6. to six, And we appreciate every single one of you. This has been the Canuck Central postgame show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.